0: Scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 15. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 20. Genesis chapter 15. Before we read, we pray. Heavenly Father, may you bless the reading and preaching of your word. May it be faithful to you. May it shine forth Christ and all his glory and all his grace. In his name we pray. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate as Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him. So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces." On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenezites, Cabmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I've often pondered um, the nature of faith, since there is so many misunderstandings about it. Um, And one of the misunderstandings that's often spoken about when it comes to faith is the doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. And the scriptures over and over again can point us to this reality. All we need to hear is the words of that man who came to Jesus because of his son. And he said to Jesus, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. All we must do is look throughout a number of the Psalms that speak of great anguish and great questioning the psalmist has when it comes to what God is doing and, and is He even present. And, and, and even there is a, one psalm in particular that, that does not end on a high note. And another example that we have in the scriptures, the doubt is not the opposite of faith, is Genesis chapter 15 quite possibly one of the most important chapters in all the Bible, but especially the book of Genesis. And I've thought about this more recently because one of my favorite music artists, John Foreman, has come out with a song recently called Jesus, I Have My Doubts. And in that, he expresses some of those truths and honesty and sincerity uh, that the psalmists often proclaim. In that song he says, when everything that's right feels wrong and all of my belief feels gone and the darkness in my heart is so strong, Jesus, can you reach me there in the silence? Singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long, but the pain goes on and on and on. Jesus, can you reach me here in the silence? It's important that we know that we have a God that can take those kinds of thoughts, hear those kinds of words in prayer. And it's important that we know that because the Father of the faithful had those very same things. And so this morning, our theme is God reassures us in our doubts by his promises in Christ. And more so, you could say God reassures us in our doubts by the covenant of grace. We have two points this morning. The first is hope for an heir, verses 1 through 6. And the second is longing for the land, verses 7 through 21. So right at the beginning of Genesis 15, we hear those words, after this. It denotes a passing of time from the last event that we discussed in Genesis 14, the rescue of Lot from the hands of these enemy people, and the blessing of Abraham by Melchizedek, and the offering of Abraham of a tenth of what he received to Melchizedek, uh, and Abraham's refusal to be associated at all with the things of evil. And the kings of the, this world and Sodom. And so we read this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And the first thing that God does in this encounter is that he reassures Abram. He comes to Abram and he says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, I want to stop here because one of the things that I think we often forget about when we uh, read the Bible and, and look at these scripture passages is that God owes us nothing. And we owe Him everything. And what we have here and this passage is the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who did everything all of everything that we see and holds it together by his almighty hand, the God who has existed before all time began, who is eternal, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, starting a conversation with a man. Do you understand the glory of that? the humbling effect that that has. We don't know why it is that God comes and, and gives this reassurance, but we can guess that the first words out of God's very own mouth, do not be afraid, can tell us that God saw Abram huddled up in his tent and worrying about the future and about what was to come. And here God is, saying, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I will protect you against all enemies, and I am your very great reward. God is saying, if you have nothing else in this world, Abram, you have me. And that's all that you need. And then Abram says, God, thank you so much. I am reminded once again of your comforting presence and your promises. And I am reassured that I am so blessed. No, that's not what he did. Because even the father of the faithful is a fallen, broken, human being just like us who lives in this fallen and broken world and who understandably has doubts. Abram says O sovereign Lord what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate It's Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said again to God, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You see, what God could have said to Abram was, Abram, I told you, I am your very great reward. Why are you worried? About whether you will have children or not. I am your inheritance. God could have spoken in his holy and righteous anger. To this expression of doubt concerning the promises God had given to Abram. Abram had already been promised by God. You. Your seed. Will bless the nation. I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And here we are, three chapters later. Abram's doing what any of us would do. I'm not getting any younger, God. The clock is ticking away. I don't see any kids. You've given me no children. This is what Abram is asking the sovereign Lord of the universe who has come to Abram's tent in the promised land to come for him, to assure him. God, how can I know that what you have promised to me will come True. The word of the Lord came to Abram again in verse 4 and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, God hears the doubt of Abram. And what God says here is no different than what God said before and promised to God, promised to Abram before. He had promised Abram, I will make you a great nation. And your offspring will bless all the nations of the world. God had promised that to Abram already. What God is saying to Abram here is no different than that. But it's what Abram needed to hear. And God and his graciousness and his mercy and his kindness and his fatherly good nature is okay with telling his children something that they need to hear again. Just like our own parents often remind us every night. No, there's no monsters in the." There's nothing under the bed. I told you this last night. No, I'll tell you again. I do love you. I will protect you. I will care for you. And God, he uses what I like to call a sovereign sermon illustration. He says, Abram, get out that tent, Okay. Abram, it's hard to see what I'm going to do for you when you've got a roof over your head. It's hard for you to see in this small little smoky space the reality of the promise that I am making to you. And so Abram comes outside, and and Abram, he doesn't live in the Chicagoland area. He lives in Canaan, in tents, where there is no light pollution And the skies are pitch black at night. And you can see each and every one of the stars up there in the sky. And God, he asks a question to Abram. He says, count them if you can. You see, what I think is interesting about that question is God knows how many stars are in the sky. The scripture itself says that he placed them in the, in the sky and he named them and he counted them one by one. In that day, Abram's day, we knew less about the stars than we know now because if you zoom in with the Hubble telescope on the Milky Way galaxy, if you go out, you can see millions and millions and millions upon millions of stars, uncountable. Un, you can't count them, innumerable. And God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. So God comes to Abram, reassures him. Abram questions him. God comes to Abram, reassures him. And Abram believed the Lord. And he credited to him as righteousness. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 will be the foundation upon which Paul makes this argument for justification by faith alone. When was Abram credited righteousness? It was not when he went through with the, the act of circumcision. It was not when he offered his son Isaac up to be sacrificed as a testing of his faith. No, it was when Abram believed God. Abram looked up at the stars And he said to himself, I can't imagine how me, this old man with a barren wife, is going to be the father of this many offspring, the descendant of all the stars in the sky. But God, I believe you. And it was that belief that God credited to Abram as righteousness. It was that faith. And this is what I want you to understand. What I want you to understand is that if you sit here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abram, through whom all the nations have been blessed, you are an answer to the prayer of Abram. You are a star in that sky. For it is through faith in Jesus Christ that Abram becomes the father of all the faithful. The father of all who believe. And I want you to know that when you go out there and you share the good news of Jesus Christ with your neighbor. Or with somebody you encounter. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ. They are an answer. To the prayer of our father Abraham. They are a fulfillment. Of. This covenant. The covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. That God made with Abram. A doubting man. A man who worried. About whether the promises God had told him would truly come to be. And what I want you to understand is that in no way, shape, or form did those doubts malign or discredit the faith Abram had. His faith was credited as righteousness right after he said to God, but God, is it really going to happen? Is what you promised me really going to come true? So what I want you to know is that the opposite of faith is not doubt. And if you have doubts this morning, you have a God you can bring them to God reassures us in our doubts by his fulfilled promises in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, this first part of this chapter is really Abraham's expression his hope for an heir. But the second part uh, begins to focus on the land. And this is where those promises for the land really come more into sight. They get um, uh, solidified more And in verse 7, then, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And so here is God again reassuring Abram this is who I am, and I have come to give you this land as a possession. And Abram said, Oh, thank you, Lord. For reminding me of that great promise that you gave to me. I have always believed in it fully. I have never doubted and I will not, Lord. No, that's not what he did. So you see, right after that great statement of Abram's faith, that he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. We read these words. O Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that what you have promised to me will come true? How can I know? How can he know? And the Lord's response is something that is very interesting. It's something that is hard to decipher if we are not familiar with ancient Near Eastern ceremonies and culture. God gives Abram a strange grocery list. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Write this down, Abram. And a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon and so Uh, Abram doesn't have any confusion about this. He brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And so what is going on here? A lot of scholarship has been done to uh, look at the ancient Near East and its cultures and its ceremonies. And the idea of uh, covenant making in the ancient Near East um, follows a lot of the same patterns that we find in the Bible which is not strange. It means that what we're being told about fits within the time and the context in which these things are happening. And so what is happening right now with God and Abram is that there's a ratifying of a covenant. In the ancient Near East, there is this thing called the suzerain covenants, suzerain treaties. And these suzerain treaties were between a king and his vassals, a king, and his servants. And these treaties all have the same form, the same makeup. They were all formatted in the same way. There's a preamble where the suzerain, the king, identifies himself and what he has done for the person he's about to enter into covenant with. And then animals are cut in half and a pathway is created. And what happens in these suzerain treaties is the vassal walks through the cut animals to express the truth that if I do not hold, uphold my end of the covenant, the suzerain and the vassal walk through together, if I do not uphold my end of the covenant, I bring the curse upon myself. That is, may I be cut in two like these animals. For the actual Hebrew word for covenant is berith. It means to cut, to cut a covenant. And so that is what we're being described for us here in this moment, is an ancient Near Eastern suzerain vassal treaty. The God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, the king of the world, is entering into with Abram the Hebrew. The man with no land and no offspring. so we read here that preamble of an ancient Near Eastern suzerain treaty. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And if you read that and it sounds familiar to you, it's for a good reason. Because almost every Lord's Day we read Exodus chapter 20 where God says, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of Egypt. The preamble to. A suzerain treaty. A covenant. And so we. See that Abram brings all these animals. And he cuts them in two. And he arranges the halves opposite each other. And we read. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses. But Abram drove them away. A lot of speculation has been. Uh. Written about, verse 11, this was Satan's enemies trying to take away or interfere in this covenant. And Abram shews them away as the protector of the covenant. I don't know if any of that stuff is valid at all. All I'm going to say is when usually you cut up a bunch of animals and you lay them out on the ground, vultures come around. That's what happens. And so Moses, who has written this for the people of Israel they would be familiar with this as well. Because they themselves have entered into this kind of covenant with God. And this is what we read. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. And you've got to think Moses is telling the Israelites and the Lord, hey, that's us. That's us. We were that was us. We were there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. And the fourth generation, your descendants, will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached. It's full measure. This promise was made to Abram and the Israelites who are reading the book of Genesis in the wilderness are saying, this has come true in us. We are standing now at the precipice of the promised land and God has given his patience that should have led to repentance for the Canaanites here listed as The Amorites as a word for all the people who live in Canaan. It has reached its fullness and judgment is coming. But there's a very stark, sharp turn away from all those forms of ancient Near Eastern suzerain treaties. Right here at Genesis 15 at this very point. After God puts Abram to sleep. The same words used about putting Adam to sleep before the making of Eve in the garden. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates the land of the Kenites, Canezites, Cabanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. What is this smoking pot and this flaming torch? What are we supposed to understand by that? Well, see, I told you that the Israelites wandering in the wilderness are being read the story and the moment they heard that smoking pot and flaming torch they would have known exactly not what was being spoken of here but who for they were guided all around the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire They saw Mount Sinai covered in smoke. Moses himself saw the flaming bush. What we're reading here is a theophany of God. A physical presentation and representation of God Almighty. And what is so shocking and so strange about this covenant that's being made is that God is the only one who passes through those torn and half animals, those cut and half animals. God is the one who places upon himself the blessings and the curses of this covenant if they do not come to pass. And the book of Hebrews tells us That when God swore to Abraham, he had nothing to swear by that was greater than himself. So he swore by himself. You see, when you have the immortal, indivisible God, he cannot swear by his mother's grave, he cannot swear by anything. Lower than himself. He cannot, the Creator cannot swear by anything created. He swears by himself. And in this moment, he is saying to Abram, Abram, what you need to know is that the only way what I am promising to you won't come true is that the indivisible God. Will be divided. Is that the immortal God. Will die. The question that we have to ask ourselves is. Where. Has it ever been told to us. That God has died. You see this covenant of grace that is being ratified with God and Abram here in this moment when God himself passes through those carcasses that were cut in half. And God himself says to Abram, Abram, I am saying that if if I cannot fulfill these promises, may I be cut in half. In Colossians, we are told about a moment when this comes to be. For in the Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every place. Power and authority in him. You were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcised circumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having dishonored the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, in Colossians, we read that Christ and his circumcision took away our sinful nature. And in Colossians, when it's talking about Christ's circumcision, it's not talking about the uh, the circumcision that he received in the temple. It's talking about the cross of Jesus Christ and how the cross of Jesus Christ was a cutting off. And how in that cutting off, we, our separation, our having been cut off from God, was put to death. You see, it is in Jesus Christ that the curses of the covenant fall. It's in Jesus Christ that our sins and our faults and our breaking of the covenant fall. They fall on Him. And it's in Jesus Christ, that the blessings of the covenant come to us who do not deserve it. That's what's being shown to Abram in seed form as he in his sleep sees the God of the universe in the form of a smoking pot and a flaming torch Passing through these carcasses, God says, "Abram, if I do not keep these promises, may the curses come on me." But what God, but Abram didn't know, is that it was actually in the curses, curses falling on Jesus Christ, that these promises would come to fruition. that's why we know that God reassures us in our doubts by his promises to us that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, do you have doubts this morning? Are you like John Foreman singing that song where he says, are you there? Can you hear me? Do you care? Are you near me? Because I'm scared and I'm weary. Are you there? My advice to you is cry out to God in your doubts. Cry out to God in your worries about the future. In your anxieties about what is to come. Cry out to God when you say, God, I don't see how the future you have promised me of eternal bliss with you in heaven is going to come about when all these troubles are around me. And I promise you that if you go to God, if you go to God and you seek him in the promises that he has fulfilled in Christ. If you look for him in his word, if you cry out to God, he will comfort you in Jesus. It may not be instantaneous. It may not be right away. But if you are relentless, if you are resilient, seeking God, he will give you comfort in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your worries, in the midst of your anxieties. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Our father Abraham doubted and God came to him and he ratified a covenant with him. God came to him and he reassured him. That is the kind of God that we have. So go to him in Jesus Christ. Find comfort. Find reassurance. Renew your faith for all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace we have received in Jesus Christ. We thank you. That in Christ the covenant curses fell which deserved to fall on us. And in Christ the covenant blessings come to us who do not deserve. We have received what we do not deserve and we did not receive what we deserved. This is grace. Grace abundant. And so, Lord, we pray that even though in this life we still struggle, we still doubt, we still worry, we're still anxious about the future and about the promises you've given to us, we pray, Lord, that we would come to you knowing that you are God who can handle our doubts, our fears, our worries. That you are God who can give us answers in Jesus Christ. And may we may we cling to the Lord, our Savior. May we cling to the one who has fulfilled the covenant of grace. Through whom we receive grace abundantly it's in his name we pray amen we stand and sing with me celebration hymnal or Psalter hymnal 380 amazing grace how sweet the sound Psalter hymnal 380 amazing grace how sweet the sound on the screen